0: It's time for another episode of Ask Us Anything, the Goggler podcast series in which we answer all of your pressing questions. Yet again, we had a whole bunch of questions from you guys, and let's kick things off with a few quickfire ones. At Chim simply states, how amazing is Masters of the Universe Revolution? Yes, Chim. Yes, it is amazing. It's funny, it's one of those shows that I don't binge when it comes out, but I kind of put on an episode every time I'm bored or want something to watch. Mm. And I found that to be a great way to consume it because I'm really enjoying it. I loved He-Man growing up, and so it's really fun just jumping into it every now and again.
1: Which He-Man is this? I'll be honest, I haven't seen any of the animated stuff. But you know they've all got different animated styles, right? Which one is this one? This is the Kevin Smith one. Okay.
0: And then there is one which is targeted more towards kids, I believe.
1: I think that's the one I have in my mind.
0: Yeah, there are a couple of them, actually.
1: I haven't seen it, but if Uma says it's uh, amazing and agrees with Chim, then I guess it must be amazing.
0: I disagree with you, Bahi, hmm? Because you, me, and Ian reviewed season one, so you have seen it. Shit. <laughs> but you forgot. <Shit>. forgotten. <laughs> we reviewed part one of season one when it first dropped.
1: Okay, okay.
0: To your credit, it was three years ago.
1: Thank you very, very much.
0: And we've probably seen about 600 TV shows since then.
1: At least. At
0: least. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Also, I just want to say, not my fault. Netflix Malaysia doesn't push this kind of content. It doesn't. It never ends up on my feed, you know. You know what? Now that you've mentioned it, I'm pretty sure I thought to myself at one point in the last three years, I wonder if that show's been cancelled. <laughs> and because I hadn't heard anything about it and it hasn't shown up anywhere, I'd be like, must have been cancelled.
0: Another quick fire one from Muizadine who asks, is the IMAX at TRX the best IMAX in Malaysia? So, GSE opened a brand new ultra-luxury cinema at the Exchange TRX. I think it is operational. Right now, you can go watch movies there. As of this week? I don't think it's necessarily the best one. It is the most expensive IMAX in Malaysia. And it might be the most luxurious IMAX in Malaysia. But for me, the biggest screen is usually the best IMAX experience. Especially since TGV has upgraded all of their IMAX to lasers now, or at least Mm -hmm. most of them to laser IMAXs. And that means they've changed the seating, they've changed the screen. So... For me, the best experience is still at Sunway Velocity.
1: I will echo that sentiment. I think a fancy seat doesn't go very far when you're talking about IMAX because the IMAX format itself is specifically about screen size and audio fidelity, etc., etc., etc. So, yeah, I would definitely agree with you. I think Velocity's a great IMAX screen.
0: At Joshua Gabriel asks, is Monkey Man coming to Malaysia? Yes, Joshua, we saw this trailer too. And we love it. We saw your question and we reached out to Universal, who are the distributors of Monkey Man. And they said it's not on the schedule as yet because the calendars haven't been updated, but they will let us know as soon as they hear. What that usually means is movies get scheduled in the U.S., and then headquarters actually determines when and whether they get a global release and who is distributing it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so it takes some time for that stuff to trickle down to Malaysia because we are all the way out here.
1: It's exactly what happened with NOPE. It got a release in the US for the longest time. We didn't know if we were going to get it until it eventually released here. I think maybe almost a month and a half, two months later... I will say there is a chance it might show up, but when, we don't know.
0: Because NOPE actually got released here after it was released on digital in the United States. So it must have been at least two or three months, right?
1: We're hoping for the best with that one, I guess. All right.
0: So we've got a question from at I'mYourCoolSluttyDaddy. Sure. Great Instagram handle. Yeah. Who asks, talk about how restrictions in Malaysian culture have affected local filmmaking.
1: You know what? I always bristle a little bit when people talk about cultural restrictions with filmmaking or, Same. Or, or religious taboos when it comes to filmmaking. They feel like real bad excuses because Kite Runner is an Iranian film that was made in an environment that's significantly more restrictive. restrictive. Yeah. And I feel like blaming culture, blaming the government, blaming religious beliefs It's a lazy shorthand. I disagree that these kinds of things get in the way.
0: I completely agree with you. I think it is an easy way to shift the focus away from our bad writers and filmmakers. I think Iran is a very good example. Iran has some tremendous films that come out of that restrictive environment. Sure, a lot of those filmmakers are either threatened with jail or end up in jail. But still, the cultural and religious restrictions haven't gotten in the way of them making these great movies. We must also remember that America in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, Ireland, the UK were very conservative societies.
1: Just a quick example. Clockwork Orange was not allowed to be screened for a very long time until after the death of Anthony Burgess. So
0: It also still has an X rating, I believe.
1: Yeah, yes, it does. Even in
0: those countries, which may feel or seem liberal on the surface, their film history isn't as liberal. If you look at the studio codes and their standards of practices, back in the day, they were just as restrictive or just as conservative as we
1: are. In the 50s, the film council, which is almost like our censorship board, would be discussing bras. They would discuss the appropriate bras for actresses to wear. So are we restrictive? Yes. However, I think you can still tell a story without having your main characters kiss or have sex on screen. Like, I don't see why that gets in the way.
0: So I don't think cultural norms are the problem. I think more needs to be done to actually hone our skills as writers and filmmakers and storytellers. Yeah. And that's why... Local filmmaking is in the state that it's in. I don't believe it has anything
1: to do with the restrictions. At Rabbit Hop asks, Malaysia has yet to have an R-rated animated movie. Is it because of our society or government? I'd go back to the previous answer, right? I think Malaysia not having its own version of Amazon Prime's Invincible or, or our own version of South Park isn't because of restriction. And yes, if somebody pitched a South Park TV show, then obviously they'll probably get shut down. But I would say, why do you want an R-rated animated movie? I don't know what value it adds. We don't even have good animated films. Malaysian filmmakers haven't gotten past the animation is for kids. I think once as a filmmaking union, we get past the idea that cartoons are for children, I think we can good stuff.
0: I don't think an R rating actually means anything with regards to story. A lot of people, at least a lot of good filmmakers, set out to make a movie and tell a story. They don't set out to make an R-rated movie or tell an R-rated story. Their story then gets submitted to the classifications board of their respective countries, and they decide what that rating might be. And of course, even that R rating has changed. Over the decades, what is acceptable, what is unacceptable, all of that is constantly shifting. So, an R rated movie for us means very, very little, unless it is in complete service of the story. And then, of course, there are also economic factors, right? In the sense that if you look at even if you look at Hollywood right now, they try to avoid the R rating as much as possible because it means less bums on seats, it means less tickets sold. So, One of the biggest criticisms about Hollywood today is that almost all of the output is so sexless. Mm. When was the last time you saw a good erotic thriller like a Brian De Palma movie, right? They've just stopped making those because the studios have felt, oh, you know what? This is going to get an R rating. No one's going to watch it in the cinema. We're never going to recoup our 80 million budget, say. Mm. And I think that's the other issue as well. So ratings actually have a huge economic factor or economic deciding factor behind them. At Jason Lens asks, curious about any film that's aged the worst, great on its first watch, but turned questionable in time. I've been thinking about this for a couple of days, and I don't have a list. I don't have a list either. There are a lot of lists online, but they tend to be politically correct lists. So they tend to be people who now watch movies that came out in the 70s and 80s and go, oh, I find that offensive now because Mm. it doesn't speak to my modern sensibility. I don't have a problem with those movies at all because I watch them and I know that they are a product of their time. And so I judge them as being something that was made in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. I think if, a similar movie with maybe similar jokes that people find offensive today was made in 2024, that would take me aback. And I'd just be like, how did that get past the writer's room? I'm surprised.
1: That's the problem with this argument of essentially backdating censorship, right? You can't go back and say, Revenge of the Nerds is bad and we should ban the movie. It is not great looking at it from 2024, but I remember re-watching that and going... Yes, this is incredibly sexist. But at the same time, it was done at a time when, I wouldn't say that those thoughts or opinions are okay, but it is what it is.
0: And I think that, of course, really determines how we approach our cultural artifacts. Like how... Mm. It changes with generations and how we look at a painting differently. If you live in 1970 or live in 2024, the same applies to books and movies and TV shows.
1: Are you then not going to take your child into the British Museum because there are nude statues, right? I think a lot of it goes back to what
0: you use these movies for. If they've aged badly and they become teaching tools... That's a different story. I don't believe you need a trigger warning in front of Gone with the Wind. I think mm. that's fucking stupid. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that someone watching Gone with the Wind should be smart enough to know this was made in the 1930s and 40s.
1: Specifically with Gone with the Wind, I think there is there is a reaction to how the Black characters are portrayed in the film. However, it is specifically about a time in American history, when those Black characters are treated that same way. Yeah, maybe it's a little caricature that the housemate is this big Black woman talking in a very Southern or exaggerated drawl. However, I think the bigger concern there is the fact that that particular actress was not allowed at the Academy Awards to receive her awards, right? So I think these kinds of films, problematic as they may be, need to be used as conversation tools. I know this is a sensitive subject for Disney. However, I think Songs of the South should not have been wiped from records. Should not have been locked
0: in the vault forever, right? Yeah.
1: If anything, I think something like that should be put on Disney Plus and there should be a companion piece to it with...
0: Scholars, documentary feature type thing,
1: for sure. Just discussing it, talking about why maybe it was wrong, but talking about maybe also the cultural impact of it and what it did for the actors behind it. I feel like that's a missed opportunity.
0: Also, the conditions at the time that made the movie, I think, need to be described as well. So the only thing that I could come up with, with regards to movies that I loved and then didn't love, on rewatches, the Star Wars prequels. And I think a lot of that had to do with hype. Mm. On that first day, you've been lining up, you're going for a midnight screening. It's the first Star Wars movie in 30 years. You're standing with a group of people all dressed up, holding lightsabers, everyone in the cinema cheers at everything. All of that hype really affects your consumption of the film, and you leave the cinema pretty fucking hyped too. And then on the second and third rewatch, which is probably during the same week, I was like, wait, this isn't very good, is it? Yeah, And I think that happened across all three movies. For the second movie you're kind of hoping, beyond hope, that, oh wait, maybe this isn't as bad as the first one. And it wasn't. Mm. The second movie yeah. was better than the first one. However, it's still not great. And so that is enough to get you hyped. But mm. then you re-watch it and you go, no, this isn't very good. And I think that kept happening. And so the Star Wars prequels are probably the only thing that I can think of where I had changed my opinion
1: very, very quickly.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I actually have more movies that I didn't like, that I grew to like.
1: I find that that's almost always the route we all take. Because when you're watching something with a critical eye, you're watching it with a critical eye, right? You're discussing its character growth, you're discussing dialogue, and you're thinking about all these things. But subsequently, without the pressure of that analytical thinking, you kind of start to realize that it wasn't so bad.
0: I mean, that's one thing. The other thing, of course, is movies that you watch at a different stage in your life. I think I've watched movies, great movies, when I was too young to appreciate what it was. I never liked Blade Runner for the longest time, but that's because Mm. I think I was too young when I watched it the first time, and my only exposure to science fiction were things like Star Trek and Star Wars, I was like, where's all the pew, pew, pew? What's all this talking? Why is there this terrible voiceover? What is happening? This is an awful movie. And then later, as I grew up, I began to appreciate that movie for what it is. And of course, we got these director's cuts and it eventually became a better movie. But Mm. also, I think the time in which you watch a movie really affects what you take away from it. If you are going through a difficult period in life and your brain is in a certain space, then... You bring that baggage with you to the art that you consume, mm. and I think that for me is quite interesting because I've often rewatched things at different times and different places, and then I've gone, "Wait, why did I dislike this?
1: Yeah, it's actually pretty good." Yeah, So yeah. that
0: happens a lot to me as well.
1: I get that. I get that. At Jumper Jacks eighty six asks, "Batman is killed in Suicide Squad. Killed the Justice League. The video game, disrespectful or is it?" much of a nothing burger. I have a rant with this that I don't think I want to get into but I think on the surface of it for me it's a bit of a nothing burger.
0: Same. I think all of these things are nothing burgers.
1: On the surface of it I think it's a nothing burger but if I let myself think about it for too long I work myself up into a lather.
0: The only reason I say it's a nothing burger is because and I think you share the same philosophy our approach to comic books and comic book characters is that they don't exist on this beginning, middle, end timeline. Yeah. I think they're just interesting archetypes and characters that different writers and artists use to tell different stories. And I think if killing this character makes for an interesting story for a group of other characters, then it's almost a narrative experiment, right? If you write a story where Alfred was actually working with Razal al the whole time, the idea behind it is what impact does that betrayal of trust have on Batman? Yeah. Even introducing Damien back in the day before he became a canonical character was almost this one-off on what would Bruce Wayne be like if he had a real son as opposed to these wards, right? Yeah. It was a thought experiment. And I think the comic book world and comic book universe allows you to play with characters In that way. They've killed Batman before. They've killed Superman before. Whatever. Kill the Flash. Kill Green Lantern. You can use these deaths as a way to tell a very interesting story.
1: My only problem with these things is that unless they are specifically noted as an... To use the DC jargon and Elseworld storyline, I find them gimmicky and I don't like it. I'm probably one of the only people who feel this way i don't like the joker movie because the character the joker doesn't exist without the character bruce wayne and batman
0: i'm with you on that as well i mean that was my whole problem with Gotham, the tv series especially given that ed brubaker had a fantastic series of comics that focused on the Gotham pd they could have followed that storyline but they didn't and, you know, Batman barely shows up in those comics as well. He is a side character at best. Meanwhile, in the Gotham TV series, you had this young kid, Bruce Wayne, and somehow all these villains existed as these villains. Yes. Pretty much. Yeah. They may not be wearing costumes. Well, not all the time. Some of them did. But they pretty much existed as these villains, which kind of goes against the philosophy of...
1: The Batman universe. Exactly. Yeah. It is that. So if the Suicide Squad video game is going to kill Batman, I almost have to partition that off into my brain, right? The same way, I didn't like the Injustice storyline. I thought the storyline wasn't great, the video game storyline. And then there was a comic for that as well. And I'm just like, no, this feels wrong, but it's okay. There'll be fans of that and that's okay. Just don't talk to me about it.
0: At Cinemonish asks, what advice do you have for young aspiring film critics in Malaysia? My advice is very similar to what we said last week about young aspiring filmmakers. Or at least my advice is very similar, which is, if you want to be a critic, you have to watch. Watch, 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 watch. Like a lot. Watch everything. Be genre agnostic. Language agnostic. You got to read. You got to read a lot. You got to read other critics. All of us start by emulating the people we like before discovering our own voice. And I think that's something you have to do as well. But it's practice. Mm. And for me, I know there are all of these other avenues available for film criticism right now. But I am still a firm believer that you need to start writing first. I think writing helps you hone and formulate your thoughts in a way that talking does not. I think it gives your argument structure. It forces you to... Construct an argument And I think that is Incredibly important So if you want to be A film critic Start by writing Your critiques down
1: And I think It's that word right You're a critic Which means you have to critique You can't just say I didn't like it Or that thing is bad Why? Give me seven reasons Why that was bad Give me seven reasons Why that was good Correct And And your reasons Cannot just be one sentence Argue for it Make the case for it And I think That comes from, like you said, practice. That comes from research, as in reading other
0: people. Exactly. And your arguments and your thoughts, when it's backed up by knowledge, by fact, by feeling, even if it's just because it makes you feel a certain way, is valid, but you have to argue that feeling. And I will add to that by saying, don't ever let anyone tell you that there is objectivity in film criticism or any sort of criticism. That is absolute and utter bullshit this is a subjective art form you may like something i may hate something we bring to the art all of our baggage all of our experiences and it affects how we see something yes it doesn't mean that person is wrong it doesn't mean i am right but what is important is how you speak about that thing that you
1: are arguing for or against Jonathan B.W. Ku asks, what's the franchise you feel actually needs a reboot? I've got one. You
0: got one? I got one too. Okay, you go first.
1: I go first. Transformers. Same. Oh, snap. Yeah, Exactly the same. Transformers. Thank you. I've got one that needs to be rebooted and I've got one that actually needs to be restarted. But I think Transformers needs to be rebooted. I agree. I think Michael Bay's first Transformers was, I hate to say it, but it was transcendent. It was fan-fucking-tastic, that first one. Um, And I feel like the reason it was so good was because Michael Bay made one crucial decision that worked for that movie that was then forgotten subsequently. And that decision was to shoot everything from the point of view of humans. Never to put the camera at the eye level of the robots. Never to give the robots a point of view almost. And I feel like that decision in that first Transformers was fantastic And it grounded everything.
0: That's interesting. I think Transformers needs to be rebooted for the exact opposite reason. So I think that all of the movies, there are a whole bunch of animated shows on different channels, on Netflix, on wherever. And they're all telling a whole bunch of crazy stories, different stories. There are a whole bunch of comics now that have just been rebooted, like Transformers and G.I. Joe, telling a completely separate story. But with the films... I think what they've missed is that Transformers was always about the robots and the humans were secondary, at least in the cartoons. Yeah. So in the cartoons, Spike and Sparkplug were supplemental characters. They were our surrogates into this world of robots. But all of the emotions and the drama came from the conflict that the robots were facing. Yeah. And I think none of the movies have done that well enough. And... I say I want that because I'm reading the new comics right now and I'm like, oh, wait, this is good writing. You can actually make it work. Right. If you give these robots real character, yeah, as opposed to just Optimus Prime spouting fucking platitudes the whole time in every single movie, yeah. if you make him a real character like they did in the cartoons, then I think you might be onto something. I think it could work.
1: Also, you know... Just stop it with the racist caricatures la. Oh,
0: Michael Bay loves himself a racist caricature lah.
1: So I would say a reboot would be Transformers and I think I have a second one where I think the studio really needs to commit to which is the Universal Monster cinematic universe.
0: Thank you very much. I agree with that as well. I mean, I was very excited about that idea to begin with that Tom Cruise mummy movie was not very good but I'm not a fan of these small by-the-by monster movies that they're making. As in, they're good movies. I'm a fan of the movies. But I loved those big monster films. Like, give me another Brendan Fraser mummy. Go even further back. Give me, like, a good Frankenstein film. And I'm there.
1: I'm just a sucker for a shared cinematic universe. So if you've got these monsters in a shared universe, I'd be like, yeah, give me all the t-shirts.
0: And you know what? Kudos to Warner for sticking it out with Godzilla and Kong because their movies have been a mixed bag, but Mm. they haven't given up. They've pushed through. And I'm hoping they just get better with everyone. But even with something like Monarch, I was like, you pushed long enough that you found the right people to put behind it. And it's actually pretty good.
1: Oh, Monarch is fantastic. The way season one ends is beautiful. And I can't wait for season two.
0: At BuzzPop TV, our friends at BuzzPop TV ask, what's up with all the hate on Argyle from the critics, yo? No idea. We have no idea. We're on the same page as you. We had a great time with the cinema. It was a blast. It was fun. We laughed a lot. I don't know why people are hating on the movie.
1: I feel like I I saw I saw a video on Instagram about these two critics talking about it and And they had an issue with the opening of the movie with the Henry Cavill Dua Lipa sequence. And they referred to it specifically as a bad, cheesy spy movie. And I'm like, yeah, no, that was the point, dummy. It's not supposed to be Daniel Craig's James Bond. This is supposed to be cheesy. It's supposed to be a little wink, wink. And I think that they couldn't ever get into the tone of the rest of the film. It feels like the American critics couldn't get past that this wasn't a serious spy movie. And I just think that's dumb. But nothing in the marketing of the
0: film would lead yes. you to believe that the exactly. tone was anything but that. Yeah. And also, it's like you've never seen a Matthew Vaughn movie before.
1: Exactly. And I was just going to say, a lot of these same critics would then follow it up by saying, oh, but I loved Kingsman. And I'm like, yeah, this is kind of the same tone.
0: Like, Kingsman goes off the rails, I think, a lot more than this one does.
1: It's clearly in the movie. It's clearly an imagination thing from Ellie Conway, right? When she blinks in and out and sees both Sam Rockwell and Henry Cavill fight the people on the train or fight the people in the the apartment. I think it's there in the movie. Yes, it's silly, but we know it. The character knows it. The director knows it. This isn't something that you've discovered this movie is doing. It's exactly what this movie is doing. And that was the point.
0: I don't understand the hate as well. For me it was just a very good time in the cinema and a couple of hours of pure
1: escapism and yeah, I loved it. And finally, at Travesty asks, what is the movie or TV show that's critically acclaimed that you do not like?
0: A lot. Really? I think so.
1: I could think of a few. I've got 3.
0: Oh, okay. So, I've got I've got quite a few actually, but let's just go recent. Yes. If you go recent, then Power of the Dog, for example, is a movie that I just couldn't get into. Nomadland, I enjoyed, but I didn't understand the hype. Yep. I thought it was a good movie, but the way everyone was talking about it, I was like, wait, am I missing something? Like, Francis McDormand's amazing, but I don't feel like my life has been changed by this. With Power of the Dog, I was like, wait, Didn't Ang Lee already make this movie and do it a lot better? Mm. Yet again, with Power of the Dog, the only thing that kept me going was the amazing soundtrack. The music was fantastic.
1: I thought the performances were fantastic. I agree with you. I think I was watching it going, what is the point of the story?
0: Yes. We haven't spoken about it because you haven't seen it yet, but closer to home, Tiger Stripes didn't get it. I was Mm. like, I don't understand what the big deal is. The other thing that has been a critical darling that I just could not get into and I've tried, Abbott Elementary.
1: I was gonna say, that's my first one on the list. The
0: first season was such a slog. I haven't tried season two or season three yet because I didn't get why it was so great.
1: I've seen this before. I'm not laughing as much. It's not even I've seen it before. It's I've seen better things like this in the semi-handful scenes of school that was in Malcolm in the Middle were done way better than this. I agree with you. I could not understand the love Abbott Elementary is getting. And then I've got two more controversial ones, which I think was going to get you riled up. Oh. Ah. I don't get, didn't get, still don't get 30 Rock. It does nothing for me. I will say, I will say, It could be... My disdain for 30 Rock could be personal because it came out at exactly the same time as my favourite TV show of practically all time. Studio 60. Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Which
0: I think was a superior show.
1: I agree. And the problem was, I was reading a lot of the news at the time and the problem was... A lot of critics was comparing Studio 60 to 30 Rock and they were saying Studio 60 was not funny.
0: And Studio 60 was never meant to be funny.
1: I kept screaming at my phone saying, that wasn't the point, you dumb fuck. I will say, I enjoy 30 Rock and I think the best part of 30 Rock
0: was the Alec Baldwin-Tina Fey relationship. I think their interactions were the funniest. But I'm on the same page with you with regards to For me, it's not like Seinfeld or Friends or The Office or Modern Family, for example, where I can put on an episode and just watch it randomly and laugh at the screen.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: I don't feel any compulsion to do that with 30 Rock.
1: Yeah, I've seen 30 Rock and I just never, I never got it. The magic never caught me. The other one is Saturday Night Live. Oh. I cannot stand Saturday Night Live.
0: So here's the thing. I enjoy Saturday Night Live, but with the caveat that Saturday Night Live has always been a mixed bag. In every episode, and it's been going on for well over 40 years, right? In every episode, there is maybe one, sometimes if you're lucky, two great sketches. Everything else feels a little random.
1: For me, that just feels like, how is this show running for 40 years when you've only got Maybe, if you're lucky, three great sketches.
0: I'll tell you why. Because writing 10 great sketches a week, as we have learned from Studio 60, is hell on earth. And I think the reason it's lasted so long is that it has been a breeding ground for great comedians and improv artists.
1: Sure, I get that argument but it's still not a great show. Like, everything you just told me, half the time, nobody's ever able to hold a straight face and I'm sitting there going, wait, is the sketch funny or is you breaking character funny? That's just dumb.
0: I think it's both.
1: (laughs) I've never understood SNL. Like, the only SNL thing I like that I will watch if it ever shows up on YouTube, is the weekend update. Yeah. I find those jokes actually funny. Like, I will snicker, but I am not sitting through 45 minutes just to get that five-minute bit.
0: I think SNL has become a lot like The Simpsons in that it is such a cultural institution that it gets by with the memory of that one or two sketches that come every episode just like the simpsons there are still some incredible observations but they're far and few between
1: at this point you're right it's a cultural institution and i just feel like it needs to be canceled wow i just feel i'm done with that shit man like all the thing about breeding ground for talent and i'm like cool but it's also just not a great show
0: And there you have it. It brings us to the end of another exciting episode of Ask Us Anything. You don't have to wait for our Instagram posts requesting your questions. Feel free to drop us a DM, a comment at any time. If you have something that pops into your brain and you need our opinions because you crave it, just drop us a message and ask us your question. We will be more than happy to answer it. You know how you can reach out, goggler MY, all of our social media feeds. You can also email us on podcast at goggler.my or send us a WhatsApp on the goggler hotline 012-524-5208. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Goggler Podcast.